Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. All right, so we're going to um, look through the Old and the New Testament. Not the whole thing, don't worry. I won't be up here for too long. Um, so we're going to start off in Isaiah 34, 1 through 4. Um, I saved it this time, guys, so we don't have to wait for me to find it. Um, so it's going to be Isaiah 34, 1 through 4. Um, I'm reading from the NIV, um, and just as a reminder, we do have Bibles at the back of the church, um, which are in NIV, and also other languages. So if you want a Bible, um, it's not called stealing, it's yours. Um, go and take one from the back, um, take it home, give it to friends, family. That's fine, keep it for yourself. So, um, But anyway, today I'm reading from uh, the NIV, Isaiah 34, 1 through 4. Come near, you nations, and listen. Pay attention, you peoples. Let the earth hear and all that is in it, the world and all that comes out of it. The Lord is angry with all nations. His wrath is upon all their armies. He will totally destroy them, and he will give them over to slaughter. Their slain will be thrown out. Their dead bodies will send up a stench. The mountains will be soaked with their blood. All the stars of the heaven will be dissolved, and the sky rolled up like a scroll. And all the starry hosts will fall, like withered leaves from the vine, like shriveled figs from the fig tree. Our second reading comes from Mark chapter 13. And it is all of chapter 13. So, we'll go. As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting in the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of the wars and rumor of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. There are, these are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be ha handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before your governors and kings as witnesses to them and the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men who will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let these who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be these days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because the, those will be the days of distress, unequaled from the beginning, when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord has not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At the time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. 
For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. So, be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in, these, in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that is near right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all those things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows about that day or hour, nor even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when, the ta when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, eat with, each with his assigned tasks, and tells one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Thanks, Ruth. Um, today we have a guest preacher again, uh, two weeks back to back, and uh, his name is David. Please give him a warm welcome as he joins me up here. Um, David, just like uh, Ruben, who we had last week, is involved in university ministry here in Adelaide. Um, I just thought we'd try and get to know him briefly before he, he chats with us. Um, yeah, David, I was going to ask, um, I, I'm aware both you and your wife are involved in ministry. Um, can you tell us a bit about your family mm -hmm. and how that's um, come about that you're both gospel ministry workers? Sure. So uh, I'm married to Tamara. Uh, up the back there, we have two primary school aged children, Hannah and Leah. They're out in the uh, city kids. And uh, for me, we, I guess we both independently got involved in ministry. Tamara's done all sorts of things. She's done an embarrassingly large amount of different ministry roles over her lifetime. Uh, you can have a chat to her about that. Um, for me, uh, I became interested in cross-cultural mission because I went to mission conferences. I really recommend doing that. Uh, hear from missionaries, find out what they're doing and what God is doing all around the world. And, and as I did that, as I was exposed to mission thinking and mission, uh, missionaries, I, I became interested and thought, wow, I want to get on board with what God is doing among the nations. Uh, so... Yeah, so I thought about that for a while, probably too long, but eventually got my act together and went and did some study and preparation. I was intending to go overseas, but got sidetracked into international student ministry where the nations come to me. It's kind of more convenient, um, <laughs> uh, but, but I still get to do what I wanted, which was to talk about Jesus to people from all over the world. So you're part of AFES, as, as the screen says, and so is Ruben. Yes. So is Ruben. Um, but you're more focused on the international side Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and can you tell us a bit about that? Um, so it's FOCUS, who you work with? Yeah. It's um, easy to die from acronym overload, I've noticed with AFES, but um, FOCUS is just all you need to really know. It's a group of uh, at 
university here for international students and our goal is pretty simple. We want students to make friends and meet Jesus. Uh, so we do that. We run a public meeting Friday night, have dinner together and open up the Bible uh, to, yeah, we want to encourage students uh, to grow in their faith. We want to introduce students to Jesus. We want to train them to, uh, in godliness and ministry skills and send them out with the gospel into the world and back home to their home nations as well uh, for those that choose to do that. Uh, yeah, so that's what, we, that's what we do and I love doing it. Yeah, and I imagine there's quite the audience here in, in Adelaide. We have a large international student population. Uh, we, we, we do. We did have a very large audience. <laughs> uh, sometimes I feel like I'm kind of justifying my existence as an international student ministry worker at the moment. Uh, with our borders being closed, it's been a bit of a stranger year uh, last year and this year again. Uh, but still, there are, there are a great many of students around on our campuses. It used to be up to 20-25% uh, at Adelaide University. We're international students, that's probably a little bit less at the moment. Uh, but still, yeah, these students, they're looking to uh, have community, they're curious about Jesus, and are, there really is great opportunities for the gospel. And could you tell us something exciting that you've seen in, in Fergus Ministry of, of recent times? Yeah, um, uh, there's plenty of things, but Maybe something I'd love to encourage you with, you will know Christine and Mark who've been at this church. Uh, one of the things that those two have been involved with is connecting with some Indian students. This is, a, this is a kind of a long but really interesting story. Back at the beginning of last year, I met in orientation week, I met an Indian girl and I invited her along to, uh, to our group and she never came. Uh, but then just randomly my co-worker rang her a few weeks later. We'd already gone online at this point uh, and just called her, just called this girl, her name, um, oh, it doesn't matter what her name is, <laughs> um, uh, and, and this girl answered and they had a chat and then she turned up online to, our, to a meeting uh, of our, on, our, on Friday night, which is unusual, and she was curious. She had lots of questions about the gospel. She had just read the Bible really carefully, and it was super encouraging to see. And yeah, and I, I want to encourage you that like Mark and Christine were so faithful. Christine, in particular, followed her up, and from that, they've kind of figured out this huge network of Indian students, and uh, it's been hard for them, it's been a very big cultural divide to cross, but they've, they've shown what it means to love in a costly way uh, and to, to, yeah, to show that in order to reach people from other cultures, actually we have to put our own rights and our, the things that we are comfortable aside. So yeah, and from that's just come opportunities for them to read the Bible with these students uh, yeah, so if you haven't talked to Mark recently about that, uh, I'd encourage you to go and have a chat to him, and I'm sure you'll be encouraged at how God is at work. That's brilliant to hear from our home church as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we'd love to keep praying for your ministry and be supporting you. Um, are there any particular ways we can be praying for you? Yeah, um, I think keep praying, keep praying for students. Like last year was just a really tough year for international students, especially those who just arrived in the country and then lived in their bedroom for the first semester. It was hard to make friends. Uh, so just pray that 
as students kind of come back out into the world a bit this year, that, uh, yeah, that God will use their desire for community to, yeah, that they'll connect with, with groups like Focus Christian Groups that we can uh, model what Christian family is like and so share God's love through that. Um, pray for our Christian students that they'll be uh, committed to the gospel and bold in then reaching out and inviting their friends along. Sounds good, and thanks again for taking the time this morning to lead us through, Mark. I'm going to get out your it's way. It's good to be here. Thanks, Ken. Thanks. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me here this morning. It's an honour to have the opportunity to share, God's, share from God's Word with you. Uh, now, I gather you've been working through Mark's Gospel over the, the last few weeks, uh, and this week... We are up to chapter 13, and it's probably not an understatement to say that this is perhaps the most confusing section in the whole of Mark. Um, I could blame Simon for the fact that I have this, but unfortunately he gave me a choice. Um, uh, That confusion that's borne out, if you ever pick up a commentary on Mark, you'll find that there are a very great many different ways to read this chapter. I think it's a bit like Revelation, you know, Revelation, very, very straightforward book, provided you only read one person's view on it. It's when you read two views that you find you're in trouble. Uh, And so I guess this does make preaching on this passage a little bit daunting, Uh, but also it reminds us that that we need God's help. Uh, We need help from God's spirit to understand his word. And so please pray with me now that he will help us. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true and right, uh, that it's useful for teaching and correcting and training and rebuking us, that we might be effective servants of yours uh, among your people and in the world. Help me to speak and say what is true and right. Help us to listen well. Help us to understand your word and put it into practice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Mark 11 and 12, you've done over the last couple of weeks. Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem as king. Uh, But of course, there's been this ever-growing conflict with the religious leadership in the city. And this really comes to a head uh, at the beginning of our chapter. As Jesus is leaving the temple area, his disciples, they draw attention to the magnificent temple buildings. I guess maybe almost trying to redeem something from this, the conflict with the tension that there's been around the temple. It's like, well, Jesus, at least the buildings are impressive. Maybe the leadership is is gone and things are corrupt and ruined, but at least the buildings are impressive. But if they hope that buildings might impress Jesus, well, they're, they're disappointed, aren't they? Impressive buildings are not going to save the temple system and its leadership. Do you see all these great buildings, Jesus replied? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. That sets the tone for our chapter. It is a a somber chapter, actually, a challenging chapter. Um, 
And naturally, of course, the disciples want more information. They want to know when this is going to happen. What, what are the signs that this disaster, this shocking thing in the destruction of the temple, the symbol of God's presence among his people, when will this happen? Well, Jesus, uh, he does give an answer. He gives a long answer. And he certainly does cover the signs and events surrounding the impending destruction of the temple. That happened in AD 70 at the hands of the Romans. But his answer does seem to go beyond just that event, both in the language of the Son of Man in verses 24 to 27 and in the Son coming at an unexpected hour and day in verses 32 to 37. So what I want us to do in light of that, I want us to see that although much of Jesus' answer does address specific questions of the disciples around the destruction of the temple, like all smaller moments of judgment in the Bible, they're there for us to cause us to stop and pause and be reminded that there's a greater moment of judgment coming in the future. So as we consider how Jesus' disciples should live and keep watch during the difficult times in the lead up to this temple destruction and judgment on Jerusalem, so we will learn lessons on how we should live and stand firm in our day, in our time, as we wait for Jesus to come to judge the living and the dead on the last day. You know, I think that these are questions we have and questions that our friends have about God. How should we understand terrible events happening around us? How does God fit into these events? How does God fit into the horror of war? How does God, where is God when Christians suffer? Where is God when millions are impacted by a global virus pandemic? How shall we live in the midst of such times? Jesus talks a lot about in this passage about being deceived by those who would lead people astray. How are we not going to be deceived? How will we stand firm? Heeding Jesus' repeated warnings. Jesus' disciples needed to know these things, and so do we. All right, so let's work through what Jesus has to say and see what we can learn. Before Jesus gets to specific signs associated with the temple, he outlines general distress that the disciples are going to face, and these will be terrible things. But Jesus says that they are just the beginning of, of birth pains. They'll be painful, but they're not specifically connected with the sharp pain of the temple destruction. And there's two broad categories of these birth pains highlighted for us. In verses 7 to 8, we have global disruption, and then 9 to 13, Christian distress. Global disruption, and then Christian distress. First up, global disruption. Jesus says that the days leading up to the destruction of the temple will be filled with wars, rumours of wars, famines and earthquakes. But these things, terrible as they are, they are not signs that the, this moment, this end has arrived, this, 
uh, the destruction of the temple. Now in verse seven it says the end is still to come. No doubt it'd be, it's easy to be alarmed, easy for the disciples to be alarmed as they see these kind of things unfolding around them. But Jesus corrects an overly alarmist kind of view as his words do for us, as we wait and watch for the greater end that is to come. Because of, of course these kinds of, these kinds of disasters are not unique to the years leading up to the destruction of the temple. They continue to happen today. These disasters, and I'm sure we could add to the list things like bushfires, floods, pandemics, climate change, things that we see in our lifetime, well, they are part of living in a broken and fallen world. And notice that Jesus says that these things must happen in verse 7. Do not be alarmed, he says, such things must happen. They are not outside of his control and power and sovereignty. And so we must not be overly alarmed as we see these things happening around us. But there's also a correction the other way. Although these kinds of disasters were not signs that the destruction of the temple had arrived, and neither are they signs for us that the final judgment is upon us. Nonetheless, remember verse eight. Jesus says they are the beginning of birth pains. And once labor pains start, there will be a baby born. And so Jesus' words remind us that the world we live in will not go on as it always has. There will be an end and we need to live in light of that end. You know, we, we need to watch the news with those kind of glasses on. There's a global pandemic, contraction pain, the end is coming. There's bushfires and famines, contraction pain, the end is coming. There's a military coup in Myanmar. Contraction pain. The end is coming. I wonder, does this knowledge impact how you and I live and what we do? Or do we live for the here and now without giving much thought to the fact that there will be an end? You know, when we're with Jesus in eternity, there's a whole bunch of stuff that just isn't going to matter. What job we did, the status we have, the things we own, they'll just mean nothing. But other things will matter. The way we brought glory to Jesus in what we said and did in our life, that will matter. The way we loved and served and encouraged and built up our brothers and sisters in Christ in this church, that will matter. Those we shared the news of the gospel with and who turned and that we, we share joy with in eternity, that will matter. These things will last beyond the end. 
And these things won't be destroyed by fire or flood or war or famine or anything else. Are we living in the light of that end? So Jesus' first picture of birth pains, global disruption. Secondly, Jesus speaks about the pain his disciples will experience simply because they are his followers. He covers two aspects of their experience. And again, these challenges, they're not unique to Jesus' disciples, but a really normal Christian experience in the last days. Have a look at verse 9 with me. Firstly, there's state-sponsored persecution. Jesus' disciples will be handed over to hostile authorities, not at some levels, but at every level of government. But this too is not outside of Jesus' control. It's not unexpected. It's, it's not something that is out of, out of his plans. In fact, this persecution becomes the very means by which the gospel goes out to the nations. You can see that there. The, the gospel must first be preached to all nations. And we see that in the book of Acts, don't we? As the apostles proclaim Jesus in Jerusalem, as they do that boldly at trials before authorities, persecution drives them out of Jerusalem. And so the gospel goes from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And just as with global disruption, this persecution, this kind of persecution, it's just as much a reality for us today. You know, we don't even have to go to more authoritarian countries where Christianity is banned or squashed. It's only a matter of time before a Christian is prosecuted under the new Victorian legislation surrounding gay change and suppression practices. Only a matter of time. And it will be sooner than later, I think. What's going to be our prayer for those who find themselves in this situation? In this passage, Jesus links these kind of events to the evangelization of the world. So we want to be praying that those who find themselves before governors and authorities and rulers, we want to be praying that they will be given words from God's Spirit such that the gospel will be boldly proclaimed. You know what? I think having that kind of kingdom perspective that is hard. That is so hard. Because our instinct is to cry out over injustice, isn't it? Our instinct is to complain about the erosion of Christian freedoms and the erosion of freedom of religion and freedom of speech in our country. Our instinct will be to cry out for rescue from God. But we need to be a people who live in light of the end, a people more concerned that the gospel is faithfully proclaimed than our own rights or safety. Are we willing to make that our prayer? Interceding that people before courts might not worry about what they will say, but knowing that God's spirit will give them the right words at the right time. 
There'll be state-sponsored persecution. Secondly, in verses 12 to 13, there'll be betrayal and hatred from every part of society, even within families. And this will be because of association with Jesus. You know, in Australia, we, we aren't used to being hated by society as large at Christians, as Christians, are we? But that's changing. Followers of Jesus are increasingly not respected. Like it was for those first disciples, the gospel is being, being shown to be more and more offensive. It's becoming more difficult to speak out about things like the universality of human sinfulness, the absolute lordship of Jesus in a plural society. And of course, Christian morality, that's completely out of sync with our culture. How should we live in these times? Jesus says we need to stand firm, not just for a little while, but to the end, for all the days of our life. And we need to remember to keep on keeping on. We need to keep on being shaped by God's word. We need to keep on meeting together. The writer of the Hebrews knew this. Don't give up meeting together. Make sure it's a priority to gather with God's people and that it doesn't get squeezed out by work or sport or study or anything else. Because that's, that's the means. This church, this family we have, that's the means by which we hear God's word, by which we encourage each other to stand firm and continue in our faith. And Jesus says here, the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Will be saved. There's a great assurance in his words. So we have two kinds of birth pains, global disruption and Christian distress. Well, from here, Jesus finally gives a specific answer to the disciples' question. We're now in verses 14 to 20. Global disruption, Christian distress, not particularly signs associated with the end of the temple, but there is a particular sign according to Jesus. The temple is about to be torn down uh, and that's, that will happen when the disciples see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong. Let the reader understand, says Mark. When I read that little phrase, I always thank Mark. I thank him for letting me know that this is a really important point, even though it's a really confusing phrase. And indeed, it might puzzle us. But it seems that it, it, it would have made sense to Jesus' hearers. Uh, the abomination that causes desolation alludes, alludes to the second half of the book of Daniel, where God's people are suffering intense persecution and the persecutors are prevailing over them. A recurring event in Daniel is that these out of control persecuting authorities, well, they're desecrating God's temple with, with something that's an abomination that causes desolation. Uh, if you're interested, you can follow that up in Daniel 9, 11, 12, actually all of the second half of Daniel. And so it seems that Jesus is saying that his disciples need to watch for another moment like this. 
Another moment when an out-of-control authority sets up something deeply offensive and unclean in the temple. And when they see that sign, it's the last moment they're to flee from Jerusalem. History tells us that the Roman destruction of Jerusalem and the temple was exceptionally brutal. But it does seem that Christians took note of Jesus' words. Tradition is that that Christians did recognize the signs, whatever that exactly was, and they escaped before it was too late because they heeded the warnings that Jesus gives here. You know, this destruction of the temple, it must have seemed like a terrible disaster to Jewish Christians. Yet, like everything else in this chapter, it lies within God's plans and power. This event was both God's judgment on Israel and a stark reminder that the temple has served its purpose. We no longer come to God in a building through animal sacrifice, do we? No. We now come to Jesus, come to God through the way opened up by Jesus. And the destruction of the temple means that we're no longer tempted to go back to approaching God in these old ways. That has come to an end. And so this is a good moment to ask, if you're here today and you know that you are far from God, then know this for certain, there is a way to come near. To be accepted, to be forgiven, to have shame and fear taken away. And that way is not through a system or a structure or anything that you do. It's found in knowing Jesus, in trusting Jesus, in asking him to be the ruler of our lives. If you're here today and you know that you're far from God but you'd like to come near, make sure you don't go home without doing something about that. Talk to Simon or a Christian friend or even come and talk to me afterwards. We'd love to help you meet Jesus and enjoy the blessing of being in his family. Back to our passage. Jesus, well, he's just given this devastating and awful picture of the destruction of the temple in AD 70. You know, amidst these horrors, there must have been a huge longing among Jesus' disciples for God to act and rescue his people. But Jesus warns that this moment of destruction will not be the moment that he comes again. On the contrary, they must be on guard against looking for rescue in the wrong places. In verse 22, he says, For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. They're not to be distracted from listening to Jesus' words and running from Jerusalem by those who would promise false rescue. And again, this is something that we must guard against. When under pressure, we too can seek rescue in all the wrong places. We can be distracted from Jesus by people or things that promise safety and security and rescue, 
but in the end only deceive. Jesus is enough. He's the only saviour we need. Well, with these warnings of false messiahs, Jesus then does talk about his own coming and that will not be secret. You won't have to go out to look at it. Jesus' coming will be public and obvious to all. In verse 26, he says, At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. The language in these verses, it's drawn from, again, from the Old Testament. This is such a a passage that uh, everything in it is, is drawn from the Old Testament. We had one of these readings, Isaiah 34, read to us. Others are in Isaiah 13 and Daniel 7. And these, in these passages, God's judgment of the nations is on view. And in Daniel 7, that judgment is connected with the coming of the glorious Son of Man who will be worshipped by all peoples and whose kingdom will never end. And so there isn't going to be messianic rescue from Rome at the time of the temple destruction. But there will come a time when Jesus will vindicate his people and judge the nations who oppose him. And that gives us confidence to live in times now when it seems that injustice prevails, to know that there will be a time when justice is done and we just wait for our saviour to come. Well... Jesus, he digresses momentarily to his, his coming again and then returns to the present for his disciples with this little parable of the fig trees. When a fig tree puts forth new growth, he says, you know that it's nearly summer. That's, that's how, it's, like a, it's a sign that it's summer as they watch the plants putting forth new shoots. Even so, when they see all these things that he's been talking about in this chapter happen, the, disrupt, the general disruption, the, the distress of persecution, the specifics around the temple, they'll know that Jesus' words are about to be fulfilled. And the truth is that Jesus' words are trustworthy. We can, we can stake our lives on them. He says, heaven and earth might pass away, but my words will never pass away. The disciples could believe his words and act on them and we need to do that too. Well, I want to just finish with where this leaves us because the destruction of the temple, that's come and gone, hasn't it? Yet we still wait for the greater end and greater judgment when Jesus comes again. And we don't have a specific sign for that in the Bible. Indeed, it says... In verse 32, Jesus says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So how should we live in these last days? We need to be on guard and alert. We are Jesus' servants, each assigned a task, and we're to be found doing those tasks when Jesus comes, alert and watchful, not sleeping. What are those tasks? 
Well, the scripture is full of how Jesus wants us to conduct ourselves while we wait for his coming. But even from this chapter, we can see that Jesus calls us to stand firm under persecution, knowing that the one who stands firm will be saved. Jesus calls us to use every opportunity, even in moments of opposition and trial, to witness to him as saviour and judge of all the nations. We're to warn one another from being deceived by false messiahs. Keep on urging each other to place our hope in Jesus alone. Are we doing that? When we, you see people distracted away from Jesus, looking for security in the wrong places, do you pull them back and say, no, find your hope in Jesus. That is where safety and security lies. We do not know the hour. If Jesus returns this week, will he find you and me ready? Will he find us going about his work for his glory? Or are we focused only on the things of this age that are, that are so easily lost in war or earthquake or famine or disaster? Let me pray that we might be found standing firm because the one who stands firm will be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that uh, he is Lord of all. We thank you that, uh, that even when we live in the midst of crisis and chaos and opposition and persecution, that Jesus is with us. We pray that we might look at the signs around us and know that, that the end is coming. Help us to live in light of that end, knowing the urgency of the gospel, need for the gospel to go forth. Help us to stand firm and faithful, not denying our Lord. Help us to be encouraged that you are with us, that you give us words to speak when we are in challenging situations. Please do that. Please help us to ask you for help. Help us to encourage each other to not be led astray by those who promise rescue but in the end only deceive. And we pray that we might look forward to the coming of Jesus again. When, when the awful things in this world will be wrapped up and when we might live in joy with you forever. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.